Welcome to Biblical Perspectives on Aging, the podcast where you and your church will find answers to the difficult questions that arise as we grow older. On behalf of the Baptist Home, this is your host, Dr. Andy Brames. In this week's episode of Biblical Perspectives on Aging, Dr. Ron Mackey joins the podcast again, talking about our Welcome Home campaign. He's going to talk about why that name was chosen and what that means for Baptist Homes. Right now, primarily, we call ourselves Baptist Homes and Healthcare Ministries, so the word home is in that. Most people will know us best as The Baptist Home, but our name has also been, for instance, Baptist Home for the Aged, or Aged, as some might say. So that idea of home is important, and this campaign is also important to us, as Dr. Mackey will share as a part of this interview. So I hope in these next several moments, you will get a glimpse of why this campaign is so important, not just because we need money to upgrade our facilities or to continue building out some of our facilities, uh, for instance, the home that will serve veterans in the Smithville area, but just the idea of bringing things back home, so to speak. So, Listen in as Dr. Mackey shares about the Welcome Home campaign. Welcome to another episode of Biblical Perspectives on Aging. And today we have a familiar face. If you're watching online, we have a familiar voice. If you are not, and that is Dr. Ron Mackey. Dr. Mackey has been a part of this podcast several times so far, talking about various things, whether that was about his role within the organization, about there was an episode about his parents and how the choice was made for them to come to Baptist Home Chillicothe campus specifically about some upcoming items and such. But today we're going to talk about something, Ron, that is both upcoming in a, in a very public way, but has been ongoing now for a year in other ways, and that is the Welcome Home campaign. So, Ron, as we start, just give everybody maybe just a little bit of an update on what's going on in your life besides Welcome Home campaign, which will be minimal because that's going to override everything at this point, I guess. But just share a little bit personally, and then we'll get into the the actual campaign portion itself. Oh, my, what's going on in my life personally? Um, it is birthday season uh, for our grandsons, our, our, our younger grandsons in particular. Um, Sam, who just turned eight, and uh, Riley, who just turned two, and Colton will, we will celebrate his birthday, his second birthday, uh, this weekend. So uh, for uh, Pam and I, it is uh, grandparent time uh, to, to uh, have birthdays uh, with our grandsons, you know, and, and it's, it's uh, pretty breathless. Uh, a few years ago, I remember holding my oldest grandson in my arms and and now he's 14 and taller than I am, and I, I don't try to hold him in my arms anymore. He gets a little <laughs> creeped out by that. So, but uh, you know, we're in a, a very sweet season, and as a family, our, our kids are in their 30s now, and uh, kids are all growing up. For Christmas, I, I gave David, our oldest grandson, uh, a key to my old uh, um, Ferguson tractor. I had no idea. The moment that would create between the two of us it was it was uh, pretty profound and, mm-hmm. and very cool and so he set out uh during christmas cold as it was out on that tractor and he comes in at one point in time i had only shown him how to drive it in first gear and he comes in and he tells me he says grandpa 
there's a second and third gear. Did you know that? And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. So now he's popping wheelies across the pasture. So. But, um, so that's what's going on with us. We're, 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 we're having a good time with our families. Well, good, good. Well, again, today we're going to talk about Welcome Home. This has been uh, heavily on your mind, in your heart for quite some time. You've done, been doing a lot of legwork. You've been doing real work, but you've done a lot of legwork for this as well. So what is the Welcome Home campaign? Maybe share why that name was chosen for this campaign, Rob. The welcome home idea is is a is a concept or a phrase that has really been particularly at the level of integrating new a new resident into the life of one of our campuses, and that 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 concept has been around for decades. The idea that that when this person is moving to one of our Baptist home locations, it is incumbent upon us. To welcome them, uh, we're welcoming them, welcoming them into our home, but we are welcoming them also to their new home, and um, you know that takes a lot of effort, and and it's a, a multifaceted process to do that. Secondarily, the idea of welcome home is quite honestly the the effort on our part and others to find ourselves back into the family of the broader Missouri Baptist Convention life. You know, the Baptist home was, for all intents and purposes, um, outside of that structure and and really that fellowship for going on 20 years. And, um, you know, when when the, the court ruling came down and the Baptist home was placed back under the Missouri Baptist Convention leadership, um, there was some um anxiety concern what's it going to be like how's this going to work and and the reality has been from from the highest levels of elected leadership and executive leadership at the missouri baptist convention level we have been welcomed back unequivocally without question which has created an environment around the state that our churches who did not know us, and most, oh, most, I would say 85% of the pastors had no clue who the Baptist home was because of this 20-year period of time. But that process has been very familial. We've, we have been invited home. So the, the idea of a welcome home campaign it's reflective of the history and the style of, of how we try to integrate people into the Baptist home life when they come to live there. But also, it, it's a bigger, broader, hopeful concept toward, toward our future reintegration into the larger Missouri Baptist Convention life. Okay. Okay. Great. So, from the campaign itself, what are the origins? How did this campaign come about just overall, Ron? Shortly after Dr. Harrison became our president, he began to explore what it would look like for the Baptist home to, to expand and to grow. And in order to do that, you were going to need uh, an influx of capital to make that happen. Um, and at the same time, 
he learned about this historical relationship in the hearts and minds of many donors around the state between the Missouri Baptist Children's Home and the Baptist Home. And in fact, there are multiple estates that are managed by the Missouri Baptist Foundation on behalf of the Baptist Home and the Missouri Baptist Children's Home. And in most of those times, it's a 50-50 split in the, the estate between those two organizations. So there was this historic connection in our donors' minds between these two ministries. So he, with the leadership of the foundation and the children's home, began to explore the possibility of perhaps a joint capital campaign. And the the working title for that was For Family for Life. And they explored that with a capital gain consulting group out of Dallas, Texas. Uh, worked through the details of that for for quite a period of time. And and at the conclusion, the the conclusion was this this consulting group did not recommend a joint campaign. And and I, I I concur with that because though in the minds of many donors these two ministries are well loved and and they want to bless them equally they are two very different ministries with very different principles and processes and and a very different donor base quite honestly uh, and so this this consulting group recommended that we each ministry conduct their own capital campaign. And that those capital campaigns have very different purposes. So we took that information, and then we began to look for a another consulting process to assist us here in the state. And and I gave Rodney the name of a, a campaign consultant that I had come to know and respected uh, here in the state. We reached out to them, and. One of the findings in the original consulting process was they believed that we were capable of an $18 million capital campaign. So we used that kind of as the the foundation as we began to have conversations with our new uh, consultant group. And that's where this $18 million capital campaign came from. And then we bridged the, the idea of welcome home into that as as the communication of uh, of what this capital campaign would be. At the same time, in our growth cycle, we had acquired new campuses, we had recognized new opportunities on existing campuses, and the need to take care of some um, deferred maintenance on several of our campuses. And so we took that $18 million and then processed it down into the needs uh, of our current situations. Okay. And and just for clarification for those watching or listening, when he said we took that 18 million for various reasons, we haven't received that money yet. No, Maybe just a not. little bit of it. No, we, no. we took the idea yes. and, and processed yeah. it down. We, so, we took the idea of, of the capacity of $18 million and said, now, if we raise $18 million, you've got to have goals inside that you've got to have things for people to contribute to so here are the pieces and parts of that okay okay so as as we uh, are in the midst of the campaign right now ron you you've shared with others 
that we are in phase two of the campaign. However, most people listening to this right now, watching this right now, they haven't heard of this campaign before this episode. So can you kind of explain the process of what the phases are and and why we would now be in phase two when people are just now hearing of it? Every capital campaign has two phases. The first phase is, is often referred to as the silent phase. And it's in the silent phase where you are reaching out to your most trusted donors and supporters, uh, those who have a historical relationship with you, and you are testing the campaign with them. You're you're testing it for clarity. Uh, Does this fit? Does this make sense? Um, Is this valuable? Is this something you would participate in? And you're also testing what what is called a case for support. The case for support is basically the written statement of why. Why do we need $18 million? What's the goal? What's going to be the impact? What's going to be the outcome of that? So you, you, you connect with your most trusted historical donors in what is called the silent phase, testing all of that, and at the same time, seeing how much money can be raised during this silent phase before you move on to the second phase, which is the public phase, where you're now, you you have all those details worked out and and you're, you're going to now publicly communicate, hey, we are in this campaign, here's the principles of the campaign, here's what we're raising, why we're raising it, and what the outcomes will be from that as you invite, um, your more moderate donors and and people perhaps who would become new donors for you in that process. Just by way of details of how that's worked out for us currently, we have raised right at 23% of that $18 million. We have raised $4.2 million in in this capital campaign. And that is funds for each of our projects, right? We have projects on all of our campuses and and we have raised money for each of those, which tells me we've done a good good, good job of communicating about the needs at each of our locations. All right, and, and now in the public phase, we will reach out to um, a, a larger donor base. We will reach out to organizations and foundations. And the beauty of this is because of our reinvigorated relationship with Missouri Baptist we now have a much larger audience to reach out to and we can say to them hey we're not just here here and here we have a ministry now that is more global to the state of missouri and uh, you know we we have a location in your backyard so to speak that's a good explanation thank you for sharing that so one of the other aspects uh, now that it is public in nature uh, part of the overall process is a steering committee has been developed. And I know just a couple of weeks ago, you invited the steering committee to meet some of the residents and to and those residents prepared a meal for them, which, which was, yeah. uh, I think, a great reciprocal moment on both sides. But what is the purpose of the steering committee? And, and perhaps maybe share a little bit of, of what you trained, what, what the purpose of the training was as well. The, the purpose of a steering committee is to be those trusted voices for our ministry who are volunteers, 
who are uh, committed donors and also who are leaders in our network that would be Baptist Life in the state of Missouri. Their job is to help make sure we have a story that communicates. And then they will take that story to their trusted uh, relationships. A good steering committee is geographically represented, and ours is. We have representatives from uh, all quadrants of the state of Missouri. It is um, uh, a good steering committee is also made up of a combination of historically committed donors and folks who are being um, developed into current and ongoing donors. It is also really great when that steering committee is representative both by age and by other um, cultural elements within your, your audience. And we are very blessed in that we have committed laymen and women. We have very committed pastors all around the state on this committee. And we have people uh, of all age brackets on that steering committee. When we had our training uh, at our Ashland campus and we had that meal where the residents of Ashland hosted a meal for us, our youngest steering committee member, uh, at the end of the meeting, I saw her in the kitchen area with three of the residents of the Ashland campus and nobody wanted to leave. They were just having a wonderful time getting to know each other. And the next morning when we continued our, our training, the, this committee member said to me, I, I kept wondering why I was on this committee and what I could offer. And she said, and then I met these people and now I'm beginning to understand. Mm. And, you know, because we are not, we are raising money for brick and mortar, no doubt about it. But we are raising money for brick and mortar, which will provide a home and a ministry to people. And, uh, and that's, that, that is the, that is the genius of what we're trying to tell. The reason we need to do this is so we can do this, which is take care of people. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, the goal, as you mentioned earlier, is 18 million. We've we've developed the possibility so far 4.2 million. I mean, just just for clarity's sake, we have not received 4.2 million dollars no, yet. That's true. We've received that's true. some of it, some of its pledges for future yes. giving, yes. etc. But Ron, could you just share? Uh, and you said that that was allocated across all the campuses so far. Um, not to go into all the details, but could you just share a little bit about how some of that money will uh, individually impact certain campuses? Sure. The the largest uh, outlay of cash for for the campaign is for our Smithville campus. Uh, we are raising eight million dollars there, uh, which includes money for the physical work on that campus, where we are basically, as as you will know, Andy. I think the only thing that will remain are the exterior walls. Everything else is going to be new inside mm -hmm. that building. Some of that we didn't anticipate, but we did anticipate most of it. <laughs> All right. But it also will provide two to three years of operating capital uh, while we are applying for funding for those residents from the Veterans Administration. The Smithfield campus will be a campus exclusively for veterans uh, 
and that's who we're trying to reach and care for there. And so that is one example of of how we're how this campaign breaks down is to provide that money for that location and for that ministry there. But another example is at our Arcadia Valley campus, which is our original campus in the Riggs Scott building, which we will celebrate the 100th anniversary of that building this October, uh, which is just an amazing architectural feat. I don't know too many 100-year-old buildings that are still operable, and I certainly don't know too many 100-year-old buildings that are not only operable, but well uh, structured for continued service. Um, On the second and third floor of of that building, we have not had residents living there for a few decades. The second floor was basically empty and honestly had been becoming a became a storage area. The third floor were the offices for our corporate uh, team. When that corporate structure was moved to Jeff City and other places, that floor became available. As we then began to to remove a lot of excess leftover materials from that building, which can happen when you've lived somewhere for a hundred years. Uh, we begin to ask ourselves, what can we do here? On the second floor, we're we're reconfiguring some of those rooms so that we are building efficiency apartments for independent living. Each apartment has a bedroom and a living area. There will be uh, sort of like a studio apartment, a, a shower and restroom across the hall that may be shared with another uh, apartment dweller. But we are going to have a price point on that of around $1,000 a month, which will include three meals a day, seven days a week, and then access to the social and spiritual life of the entire campus mm-hmm. uh, at, a, at a very modest rate uh, to, to reach people who are not able to afford the typical cost point of, of living on a, on a continuum of care campus. The third floor... And, and this is something that the more I look into it, the more excited I become by this. We're going back to the vision of our founder, Dr. Milford Riggs. On the third floor, we're going to have the same physical structure, a bedroom, a living room, um, a private bath across the hall for pastors. Um, many of the pastors in our state have given their lives for service of the kingdom of God, and they've done so in smaller churches in the uh, broader reaches of our state. They've never quite made enough to support themselves fully. Um, maybe they maybe they opted out of Social Security back in the day and, and did not realize that in opting out of Social Security, they were also opting out of Medicare. And, and so thus, at 65, they have no health insurance which is one of the most expensive personal items you have later in life. And uh, they have given their lives in service for the kingdom of God. And we are now coming back going to offer that space to them for around $1,000 a month. And it'll have the, the meal plan built into it. Plus they'll have the life of the community here. And, um, uh, you, you know, when, when you look back at the early writings of Dr. Milford Riggs, that was what was in his heart. All right. And in fact, you know, uh, this is kind of an internal discussion that, that we're having right now. 
his concept of benevolence and, and the current application of benevolence now are different. His focus was on those who had given to the church and, and, and who, because of that sacrificial lifestyle, were now very vulnerable. And for us to almost 100 years later come back to that, uh, I think, I just, well, I, as a pastor, retired pastor, I have been around the state working for the Baptist home, and I've seen those pastors. Many of them are working well into their 80s, partly because they know that if they retire, their church may close, and they just don't want that to happen. And these are godly, sacrificial people who are going to need some assistance. And I, I just personally believe that is the responsibility of, of our ministry at its core. And, and the fact that we can now offer that is going to be a real um, blessed thing, in my opinion. Other aspects of the campaign at our Chillicothe campus. We had made a promise when that campus was built to add a third wing. Uh, the, the, why, why, the, why the three existing wings were, were, were labeled the 100, 200, and 400 hall, no one knows. It's just one of those internal things where we scratch our head and laugh. <laughs> but we are looking at adding a, a, um, a fourth wing, uh, which oddly enough will be the th third wing. I, you know, that's how we do things. Uh, 16 rooms. Uh, and it will be a skilled nursing facility, which is a level of care that is deeply needed in the Chillicothe area. And we have recently been having discussions about <clears throat> how we can use that campus at its greatest capacity in the highest competitive market we have of any Baptist home location. And what, what, what our concept is, is we're going to go to an all-suite campus. Every, every resident will have a bedroom and a living room and a private bath. And, and I just think that that's going to be um, a, a real game changer for our, our Chillicothe campus. And that, that third wing will be a part of that uh, process there. And then the other funds are being used for other things at some of our other campuses as well. I, I don't want to give you the laundry list of everything. It, it would take quite a while to do that. So, so. <laughs> Well, yeah, thank you. And, and really, you know, the, the campaign itself, a lot of people will say, well, you know, you're just asking for money. But when you talked about Dr. Riggs and his initial vision, the initial purpose and the, the founding decade or more, multiple decades really, of ba the Baptist home, uh, or the Baptist Home for the Aged and all the word names that were in the past, we we lived on donations. Yeah, uh, yes. You, you know the 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 eggs that would show up on the train. You know the potatoes that would show up on the train. And so, Ron, I, I transition to this question because there will be people that have heard this that might want to be involved in the process. And in the past, Dr. Riggs and you know Dr. Scott and others would go around and and talk to churches and. A, a church would gather all their belongings in a potato sack and or whatever they were going to do, and they would ship it by train to Ironton, and that's how it happened. Well, we're in a different day and age. Uh, we It's illegal to ship food like that uh, in today's world. But there will be people that hear this that say, well, 
I'd like to contribute to that. And, or maybe I have a pastor who might be able to take advantage of the situation in Ironton that, that we are putting together right now. So how, how could people get involved with the campaign or make contact about helping out in some way, shape or form? Two ways. One, we plan to come to you to tell this story at your church, at your senior adult group, individually, however that would work. But in order to per, uh, to process that, you can reach out to us at a couple of ways, by phone at 573-546-2709 or by email to welcomehome at bhhm.org. And those two ways can get get you in touch with with myself, with Nick Davis and other staff, and we will then make a presentation to you or your group uh, about how you can participate in that process. People can participate uh, by making a one-time donation. They can participate by pledge of a certain amount of money over a certain period of time. They can participate <clears throat> by by using their estate plan. Maybe they've decided that, you know, um, I, I want to leave my my estate or a portion of my estate to the Baptist home through a bequest, through a will or a trust. We can work with you to help set that up. And we will then, then credit that on a, on a system that we have for the campaign. You can't spend a bequest until the bequest becomes actual. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. So we don't want the campaign being 90% money that's going to come in 20 years from now. That would be unwise. But we do have formulas that we're that we're using to work through that. So the best way to find out about the campaign, uh, we do have information in, in our, our Baptist Home news magazine, our, our monthly e-newsletter, and then we have materials that we've got together. But if they would reach out to us directly, we would be glad to connect with them and, and help out with that. And we we are going to be speaking in churches very soon. In fact, Monday, February 13th, we are going to be speaking at the Concord Baptist Church in Jeff City. And, and then we've got other opportunities that are going to be going out throughout the spring and summer of this year. Ron, could you just give the phone number and the email one more time for people that may have missed that earlier? Sure. The phone number is 573-546-2709. And the email is welcomehome, one word, at bhhm.org. Okay, perfect. Ron, is there anything else you'd like to add before we uh, ask for any prayer requests that you might have? Well, I, I would add this. Um, We've never had as large a campaign as this, and we've never attempted as many projects as we are currently. As you well know, Andy, yes, sir. We, we have construction going on at every campus. And, and some, may, some may wonder why so aggressive now. And I would say this, we are living in unprecedented times. There's, there's two things that seem to be going in opposite directions. One, the number of senior adults who need long-term care is growing exponentially every day in our state at a time when long-term care is at an absolute crisis. Uh, just in the last quarter, quarter and a half of 2022, over 200 nursing homes have closed their doors. That has a direct impact on where somebody's gonna live. When those homes closed, 
people had to move. And if Baptist Homes is called to care for the aging, then we need to deal with and speak to this crisis and be a part of the solution for that crisis. This is not about expensive, fancy, um, turning our facilities into really super nice, extravagant places. That's not us. That never will be us. It is about expanding the scope and the number of people that we can minister and serve. That's why we're doing this at this time. Yeah, thank you. And just for, again for clarity, since we're in all of these, a lot of these same uh, conversations, Ron, that two hundred number that Ron just gave—that's just the state of Missouri. Yes. Uh, in the numbers that close, so that's that's a substantial amount when you think about the size of the state. Uh, that that's a, a lot of so. Well, Ron, obviously, uh, a campaign such as this, a ministry such as this, covets prayer. Uh, what would be specific prayer requests that you might have personally for? or for your team, or for the campaign, the ministry overall? What would you share with our listening and or viewing audience today? Well, I think I would share this. It's to go back to this period of time that we're in, and it's so volatile. There, you, you could be tempted to just attempt everything all at once, try to fix every problem all at once. <laughs> And, and the reality is, if we do it that way, we will be ineffective in a lot of different ways. And, and I think for, for our team and for the Greater Baptist Homes as well, this is a time when we are in need of greater wisdom than ever in my life. All right. Uh, this is not speculative stuff. This is people's lives. This is people's well-being. Uh, and we are asking people to contribute assets that they've spent their lives collecting. And, and we need to make sure that we are using those gifts uh, in a God-honoring, future-changing way. And, uh, you know, Andy, there are days I wake up and I, I just think to myself, how did this little boy end up here? And this is what, what are we doing? Uh, what we're doing is what God has called us to do. And, and we need the wisdom to do it well. That's that's what I would ask for. Well, Father, we, we do thank you for an opportunity to serve you. And we, we do that because of first our calling as individuals for for the uh, in out of thankfulness for what you've already done for us but lord as we come together collectively uh, as this small group of staff and individuals that serve as a part of the Baptist Home family across the state of Missouri in eight different campuses right now we we thank you for that opportunity to minister to uh, to to people who in in some ways society wants to forget or maybe has forgotten. God, may that never be us. But God, as we embark on this campaign or or as we move this campaign further into the public phase more accurately, that, that, that you would show us how to be the best stewards of the resources that people are trying to be the best stewards of themselves. As Ron said, that many have collected and, and sacrificed for years and decades to be able to take care of themselves in their retirement. Many are just getting started in the workforce and are trying to figure out how to budget for the first time. And yet there are organizations all over that, that many of them that are doing great things and, and desire to do great things uh, that are 
that are in need of money. And Lord, we are just one such group, but God, we, we know that we do have a specific calling and that calling doesn't resonate with everybody. But God, for those that do, we, we would ask that we would be able to partner with them, that they would be able to, to share with us just a portion of those resources that we might be able to take care of those whom you bring to us. And maybe that's some of their family members, or maybe that's them one day, or maybe that's them even now in some way, shape, or form. So God, thank you for this time with Ron, that he's able to share a little bit about where we are and where we're going. And God, I just pray for your for your wisdom to be upon Ron, upon Nick, and the rest of his team as they not only lead us through this, but God, as they ex- face unexpected challenges, and Lord, receive unexpected blessings uh, that you would uh, guide in that as well. So again, thank you for this time, for this communication to all those that will be listening, and uh, just pray that your your favor would still be upon us as we seek to bless you as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Ron, thank you for joining us on the podcast today again, and I'm sure, well, we'll hope it's not the last time. We'll hope there's many more times to come. Sure, sure. (laughs) Thank Thank you, you, Andy. All right. Bye. I hope you found this episode to be encouraging to you. Obviously, any time an organization asks for money, you want to know how that money is being spent. Are we being good stewards? And I assure you that one of our goals at Baptist Homes is to be a good steward of the resources that God has provided. Those resources certainly include money that might be given. It also includes the buildings that we already have and or are building. It includes the staff that we have, and it certainly includes the residents that we serve. So, I hope this has been an encouragement to you in that way. Do we have a long way to go to be better stewards, to be the kind of stewards we really want to be? Of course we do. We will never arrive on this side of eternity, but our goal is to move that direction, not just each and every year, but each opportunity that we have throughout the year. Again, I hope you found this episode beneficial, and I hope you'll tune back in next month for the next episode of Biblical Perspectives on Aging. Thank you for joining us for this interview today. The Baptist Home has provided Christ-like care to the aging since 1913. To learn more about the biblically informed resources and solutions provided by the Baptist Home, go to www.thebaptisthome.org. Again, www.thebaptisthome.org. You will find links to previous podcasts, a growing number of church resources, and detailed information about residential and long-term care communities. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Andy Brams, asking you to be a voice for the aging.